I got it, I think. So my wife will tell you all this morning, this week, I was trying to decide when to share that information with the elders. They, you know, we knew that we were going to share that with you, and we just didn't quite know what to do. I said, should I share it before the message on prayer? Should I share it at the end of the message on prayer? And, uh, but we decided beforehand. We are uh, in this series of messages called Boldly We Approach. We've been talking about prayer as a church family, looking to understand this gift that we have been, been given. Um, and today we're going to conclude this series of messages. And then uh, Pastor Tony has a, a great message that he's going to bring us uh, next week. And then right after that, we're going to jump into a new study. We're going to be looking at the book of Daniel up till Easter. And then after Easter season, we'll be continuing in that. So that's kind of where we're going. Um, but, but to get us into our study this morning, in 1982, there was a man by the name of Michael Fagan. He was, a, he was a bit of a, of a troubled man. He was uh, struggling in his life. He had some, some deep problems. He was living in Great Britain at the time, and he got it into his mind that the Queen of England might be able to help him with his problem. And so he thought to himself that if he could only talk to the Queen, if he could just uh, engage with her in conversation, she might be able to help him turn things around. There's only one problem. You just don't walk up to the Queen of England, right? You, you, the common person just can't go and get an audience with the Queen. That's, that's not how it happens. It's almost impossible, especially for a commoner, to have that take place. And so Fagan actually, he knew this. And so one day, he got it in his mind that the only way that he'd be able to talk to the Queen was to break into Buckingham Palace. And this is 1982, and so one evening, he did just that. He found a place where the guards weren't passing by, and he leapt over a fence. He eventually uh, climbed an outside wall, found an unlocked window, got into the palace, didn't just get into the palace, but made his way down the corridors of the palace and actually found the queen's bedroom. He entered into the queen's bedroom, but much to his chagrin, um, the queen was not there. She was gone that day. So he made out of the palace all the way back out without being detected and got outside. Now you'd think that maybe that was the end of the story, but it's not. Eventually you saw in the news that the queen had returned to Buckingham Palace and actually Fagin could have known that she wasn't there because they fly a flag when the queen is in residence. He realized that the queen was there this next day and so he went back. Went back to the same place where he had gone before climbed over the same wall where the guards weren't crossing, climbed up the same wall, found the same unlocked window, got into the palace, made his way all the way to the queen's bedroom undetected, and there, lying in her bed in the early morning hours, was the queen of England. So there's the queen. Now somebody said, and her husband, they sleep in different bedrooms, so she was by herself. And so he came into the queen's bedroom he had his opportunity to talk. He opened up the window. It was early morning hours, so the light opened up. And sure enough, the queen woke up, not to find one of her servants there, but to find Michael Fagan standing by her bedside. Needless to say, they had a brief 
exchange. <laughs> the queen didn't freak out. Instead, Fagin came and sat on her bedside. They exchanged a few words. They were able to call in some security, and Fagin was, of course, arrested and taken away. His hopes and dreams of speaking to the queen, well, they had become a reality, but he had failed to actually engage her in conversation. Now, what strikes me so much about that story is the fact that it is a telltale story of how in our world, you and I, at least I would be surprised, don't have that kind of access to people in power. I'd be surprised if there was anyone here. Maybe you are somebody who has a direct line to the President of the United States. The idea to be able to go so to somebody, to speak to them, somebody who has power and authority, somebody who could maybe help you out with something like the Queen or like the President of the United States, most people don't have that kind of access. And, and so Fagan, in, in his story, it, it, it tells us that, that we long to have that kind of access, somebody who we know can help us. If we could just get to them, if we could just go to them, if we could just talk to them, maybe they could help us. Most people don't have that kind of access. But what we've been learning about in this series that we've had on, on prayer is the fact that you and I can actually boldly approach the throne and that you and I have, do have direct access to the maker of heaven and earth. If you're in Jesus Christ this morning, God is your Father. And you don't have access to the Queen. You don't have the access to the President. You have access to the God who rules over everything. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's remarkable. And, and, and if there's one thing that I hope that, that we are taking away from our study on prayer, it's this reality that for those who are in Christ Jesus, God is our Father, and we can come to him. But it's not just simply that we can come to him. See, there was one problem with Michael Fagan. When he got before the queen, he would later recall, he was a bit of an unstable man, but he would later recall that when he got before her, everything kind of became jumbled for him. He, he didn't speak to her the things that he had hoped that he would, would say to her. And so for us, I sometimes feel like you and I might know that we have access to the God of the universe, but we're kind of like Michael Fagan. What do we do with it once we get there? And so for the last few weeks, we've been slowing things down. And today's the last week where we're going to look at this. Where we're talking about, okay, we have access. Do we get that? Yeah, we got that. But now what do we do? How do we talk to God? How do we engage with him? And so that's what we're going to wrap up today. How do we pray? How do we take advantage of the access that has been given? And the answer to that is actually found in Matthew chapter 6. So I want you to turn there this morning with me one more time. Matthew chapter 6. And I got to ask the question because this is our last time. Are you ready to learn? Are you ready to grow? All right. Are, are, do you want that? Th then, then go. Go to the Word with me and hear what Jesus has to say. Because in Matthew chapter 6, he spells it out for us. He says, you want to know how you approach this God that through me you can come to. Jesus says this, when you pray, starting in verse 8, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we forgive those, as we forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus says you and I don't have to be tongue-tied when we come before the God of the universe. You and I don't have to worry about what it is that we're to say to him. Jesus comes and he spells out in this prayer a couple of things. And if you have your notes, I summarize what we've looked at thus far. The first thing that Jesus teaches us in how we are to pray is in the address that he gives. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Jesus is telling us two important things in this little address. Number one, talk to God as you would with someone whom you have an intimate relationship. When you're praying to God, you're praying to your Father. You can converse with Him. This isn't something where you have to come with fancy words, where you have to have this outline of exactly what to say. He's your Father. He's your Dad. You should feel free to communicate with Him like you would someone that you will have an intimate relationship but although he's your father, he, Jesus does say he's our father in heaven. And so we are to acknowledge God's greatness and majesty. Make no mistake that when you pray to him, it's right and good for you to give him worship and to give him praise. You're our father in heaven. That positioning of God in heaven isn't just talking about his location. He's talking about his rule and his reign. Take time in your prayers when you pray to talk to him as you would with somebody that you're comfortable talking to, but make sure that you acknowledge that he is great and that he is mighty. But then the remainder of the Lord's Prayer, the, the entirety of the verses, starting from verse 10 on, is Jesus coming and saying this. When you go to God in prayer, ask God to do things. Make requests of him. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Forgive us our debts. Give us our, our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. All of these petitions are Jesus coming. So you want to know how you're to talk to God? One of the things you're supposed to do when you talk with him is to make your requests known. And, and these requests that we're to make known to him, they fall into two categories. And we looked at the first one last week. That the first of the categories is this. Ask God for that which would bring him more glory. That's why the first three petitions, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, that they're all about making sure that when we're talking to God in prayer, that, that we're rightly aligned. It's, as we're going to see, it's right and good for us to pray for our needs, but, but our greatest need and our greatest good is making sure that God in this world, that his name is hallowed, that people are walking according to his ways, that his reign and his rule is being submitted to. And so God says, are your prayers, are they filled with the acknowledgement of not just only who God is, but asking for others that they too, and even for your own heart, would recognize his glory? Those are what the first petitions are all about. But then Jesus does something that to me is very surprising. The final three petitions, starting in verse 11, are all these petitions that have to do with you and I Asking for that which would be for your good. Jesus says your, your prayers to God, the things that you should ask of him, should first and foremost be for his glory. But then your prayer should be about asking God to do those things for you that would be for your good. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Each and every one of these petitions is a petition designed, is a petition intended for you to communicate to God, asking God for that which would be for your good. Now, this whole idea of asking things of God, we talked about briefly last week, can make God feel like a genie in a bottle, right? It can make God feel like he's somebody that we just go to and we just ask, we ask, we ask for things, and, it, and we feel a little bit uncomfortable about that until we realize the reason why Jesus says we go to God and we ask him for these things is because he's the only one that can do anything about these things. Asking God, making requests of him should be in our hearts an act of worship. 
Because when you ask God for something, if you remember the jar of peaches I had up here last week, I, I showed you that sometimes it can be hard to open up a jar. And one of the most embarrassing things is when you can't open up a jar is to go to somebody else and say, hey, can you open this? And the moment that you ask somebody else to do something, it's an indication of your weakness. And when the person opens that jar and it pops open, it's an indication of their what? Their power, their strength. It's right and good for us to ask for God to do things that would even be for our good because when we do so, what we're doing is we're giving him more praise and more glory. We're acknowledging our insufficiency and his sufficiency. And Jesus shows us this in these petitions. Look at verse 11 with me. Jesus comes and he says, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Jesus' words here are very intentional and specific. Jesus says that when you pray, you should ask God to provide for you that which you need to survive. Some people have read this petition, and they have thought that Jesus might be talking about the fact that when we pray, we should ask God for our spiritual nourishment. They get that from the idea that Jesus says, I am the bread of what? Life, right? But that's but that's not what Jesus is doing here. And the reason why we know that this is not what Jesus is doing here is because that little phrase, daily bread, was a phrase that was commonly used in Jesus' day to refer to, guess what? Daily bread. <laughs> People in Jesus' day understood that phrase. People in Jesus' day understood the concept of daily bread because laborers in Jesus' day, the majority of the population was paid literally enough wages just to provide for what they needed for that day. In Jesus' day, it was hard to save up money. There weren't a lot of 403Bs or 401Ks. Like, you're not putting money away. You're not putting money in stock markets. Like, people were just paid enough to get by. On top of that, they didn't have the preservatives back then that, they, that we have now. So if you baked your bread on one day, guess what? It was rock hard. It was inedible the next day. And so when Jesus says, pray and ask God for your daily bread, Jesus is literally saying, you and I should ask for those things which we need in order to survive. He's coming and he's saying, it's right, it's appropriate for you to ask God for that which would sustain your life. Ask for your physical needs. Ask for them. But not just simply ask for them. Jesus says here, pray, give us this day our daily bread, implying that he wants us to do it. He's not just saying you should do it. He's saying, I want you to ask for your needs, the physical needs that you have. Now, there's two like big takeaways that I think we shouldn't miss in this petition. The first is this. I hope it goes without saying, but I find that we sometimes in the church can like over-spiritualize things, and so we lose sight of some fundamental things. Let me show you what I mean. The first big takeaway for me is this. God cares about your physical needs. Do you believe that? I'm not talking the health and wealth gospel here, okay? Don't hear me say that. I'm saying that God cares about you as a physical person and your physical needs, You see, Jesus could have only taught us to ask in this prayer for spiritual things, but he doesn't. That's not by mistake. 
that's important. That's significant. In fact, Jesus starts with encouraging us to ask for our physical needs before he moves on to you and I asking for our spiritual ones. Jesus is actually showing us that it's okay to not just be purely focused on your spiritual needs, but that you should feel comfortable to ask him to meet physical needs. And this shouldn't surprise us. Because when Jesus walked this earth, he wasn't just a spiritual teacher, am I right? He was that. He taught people about God. But over and over in the Gospels, we're told he went from town to town healing He healed people who were physically sick. He addressed physical ailments. When people were hungry, he fed the thousands. When he was on a boat with his disciples and the waves were roaring and they were afraid that they were going to die, Jesus calmed the storm. He brought Lazarus back from the dead. He didn't bring back just a spiritual Lazarus. He brought back a what? A physical Lazarus. God cares about our physical needs. In fact, in the very same sermon on the mount that that this passage comes from, just a little later in chapter 6, we don't have time to look at this, but in verses 25 through 34, we saw this parable during the summer. (laughs) Jesus comes and says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He says, look at the birds, look at the lilies. If God takes care of their physical needs, he's also going to take care of whose physical needs? Yours. Do you believe that God cares about your physical needs? That God actually wants you to ask for your physical needs? In the book of James, in James chapter 5, one of the things that the author of James, inspired by God, invites us to do is he says, is any among you sick? Not just spiritually sick, but like sick, sick, like physically sick. Call upon the elders, anoint that person with oil, and pray for them that they might be healed. James could have said, you know what, if somebody's sick, don't worry about it. Let them write it out. They're going to heaven, man. If they die, they die, (laughs) right? You're never going to find that in the Bible. You're never going to find that in the Bible. One of the greatest blessings in my pastoral ministry is to serve alongside the men that I serve with and at times be able to be called upon to pray for people's physical needs, to pray for the person with cancer to be healed, to pray for the little boy like we did so many years ago who wasn't able to walk and and who was struggling in his development and the doctor's saying, you know, we just don't know if he's going to be able to, to... to develop normally, and the parents come and say, would you pray over my son? And we anointed him with oil, and we, and we prayed. And then today, all these years later, to see him riding a skateboard and to see him surfing and to think, God answers prayers. God cares about physical needs. You think those parents' hearts are overwhelmed every time they see that? To pray for the person with cancer and to pray, God, would you spare their life so they can be a mother, so that they can keep being a father, so that they can be a grandfather. And then to watch as God has answered those prayers time and time again. To, to think, you know, does God care about church buildings, you know, and stuff like that? Like, should we really pray for that? Like, aren't there people dying in Africa and all of those kind of things? And, and God's like, you know, I got that and I got this. Don't put me in a box. And then you pray. And God does something like bring a million-dollar gift and, and that's not on us. That's upon God saying, listen, I care 
about people. I care about physical places. Make your needs known. Pray for your daily bread. God cares about our physical needs. But there's another big takeaway from this passage, and that's this. You see, when Jesus says that we are to ask God for our daily bread, that word daily is extremely important, but it is completely lost on us in America. See, we have this tendency in the modern age not to live from the day-to-day, do we, in terms of the things that we have. You see, we all pretty much here, I believe, probably have pantries. We probably have food in our cupboards. The, the, the fact of us going hungry tomorrow because we don't have enough food is probably not a reality for a majority. I'm not saying that there's probably not some here in Valley Center that don't struggle with that. But I'm saying when I look at, at this church and, and I know my church family, the majority of us have refrigerators. Some of us have multiple refrigerators. The idea that we're going to need food tomorrow or that we're not going to have food for tomorrow, that's a foreign concept to us, isn't it? Let's be honest. And we could probably skip a meal or two and we're going to be okay, right? The reality, though, is in Jesus' day, that wasn't the case. And so we read this prayer, pray for your daily bread, and we think, yeah, no, God cares about physical needs, and we should pray for that. And you know who, know, you know who really needs to pray this prayer? Those people who are destitute, those people who, who aren't in our situation, they really need to be praying, give us this day, our daily bread, because they don't have it. But tell me something, did Jesus write this as a prayer? Did Jesus speak this as a prayer to be prayed just by a certain group of people? This is a prayer that's supposed to apply to all people. And, and so here's, here's the point, and then let me flesh out the application. Only God can and does provide for you. When Jesus says, pray, give us this day our daily bread, he's teaching us to pray this prayer so that we will always have before us that it is only God who can and does provide for you. We look at our pantries we, we look at our refrigerators, we look at our homes that we can go to, and here's the truth. The truth is that we are the ones who need to be praying this prayer every day, not just the destitute, because we are under the illusion that it's going to be there tomorrow. And there's not one person here who can guarantee that the accident's not going to happen, that the house isn't going to burn down, that the friend that's there today won't be there tomorrow, that the job that you have today that you think this is, I'm secure, I'm good, won't be there tomorrow. It can all be gone, and the only reason you have today and will have tomorrow, any of the comforts, any of the provision that you have is because God gave it to you. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then you need to start joining with me. This is where God has convicted me. It's to stop looking at the pantry and the refrigerator and the bank account and the job that I have and start praying every day, Lord, would you provide for me today what I need? Somebody that I know went to work this past week. They went to work 
And in 12 hours, let me tell you what happened. In 12 hours, while they were at work, one of their coworkers died. Another coworker wasn't feeling well, went to the doctor and discovered they had a brain tumor. A third coworker, in the midst of performing their duty, blew out their leg and had a catastrophic broken bone that required surgery. I can guarantee you none of those three individuals went to work that day thinking any of those things were going to happen. When we pray the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, we are reminding our hearts that everything that we have comes from God, that He alone has provided you the job that you have, that He alone has provided for you the food that you have. I wrote in my notes this week for myself, I need to stop assuming. I need to stop assuming and start acting by asking God in worship for what I need. I need to stop assuming that I'm going to have what I'm going to have, and I need to start really believing the words of Jesus that only He can provide for these things. Do you have physical needs today? The great promise of this prayer is this. You can ask God. Any needs, bring them to him. Big, small, it, it, it doesn't matter. Let him decide what he's going to do. But don't hold back from him. If you don't have what you need, it is right and good for you to come. But then, here's what I want to challenge you with today. What I'd like to challenge you with in your families and in your prayer life is that you, along with myself, would start praying this. At your next meal with your family, as you sit down to eat, thank God for that meal, that he provided it for you. But would you then also pray, Lord, would you be gracious and provide for our needs tomorrow because we don't know where they're going to come from except from you. You see, what, what I find is I don't know that I've ever prayed that prayer. You know why? As long as I've been an adult, I've always had a job. As long as I've been an adult, I've always had a car. I've always had family that I could fall back upon. The truth is, all of those things are only there because God provided them for me. And I want to start acknowledging him as an act of worship every day in that way. Don't wait to pray. Give us this day our daily bread just when you have some kind of physical need that you, that you don't see any other way around. Let's start praying that prayer every single day as an act of worship, not believing for one second that what we have today we'll have tomorrow. When we live inside that prayer, guess what? God gets the glory and we get a lot of good because we get to each and every day then praise him for what he's provided. Amen? Amen. That's, just, that's just one of the positions. There's two more. Can you handle it? Can we go on? I'm going to try to. Here we go. Jesus comes and he says, ask God for things. Make your physical needs known. But then he does something else. He says, don't just focus on your physical needs. It's right and good for you to ask for your spiritual needs. Ask for your spiritual needs. We know that this is the case because look at verses 12 and 13. I'm going to fly through these, but I, but I hope you'll see their importance. Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from what? Evil. I don't know how else to read these petitions than Jesus saying, you and I have spiritual needs. 
You have physical needs. You can recognize your daily bread stuff. But do you know that you have spiritual needs? And he identifies two prominent spiritual needs for followers of Jesus. That's going to be important in just a second. You know what those two prominent spiritual needs that you and I have are? The first one is this, dealing with sin you commit. As a follower of Jesus, there is sin that you commit, and you need help with that. The second thing, as a follower of Jesus, another spiritual need that you have is avoiding sin. It's not just that you commit sin, but you and I need help avoiding sin. So the whole forgive us our debts has to do with dealing with the sin that we commit. The whole lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's Jesus coming and saying, pray that that God would, would help you avoid sin in your life. Now, we're not going to understand these two petitions and what Jesus is saying here unless you and I are clear on something. Because this whole verse, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, what what does that mean? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. Aren't I forgiven? Hasn't he forgiven my sins past, present, and future? Why, Why is Jesus calling upon his followers to still ask God to forgive them of their debts? of their sins, of their transgressions? The simple answer is this. Yes, in and through Jesus Christ, when you put your faith and trust in him, when you acknowledge him as your savior, all of your sins are covered at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid your debt once for all. Your sins are atoned for. They are covered. As the illustration goes of a young man who went before a judge because he had a fine for a speeding ticket, and the judge, he said, you're guilty of this, your fine is $2,000, and he slammed the gavel down, but then that judge took off his robe, came down, and he paid that boy's $2,000 fine, and he said, you are now forgiven, your debt has been erased. God does have to judge us, the wages of sin is death. Jesus died on the cross to pay the punishment for our sins. So what's happening here? You see, when Jesus dies and he applies his righteousness to us and our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, that's called justification. You are declared right before God. If you're in Jesus Christ today, you are justified. One day, there's a day called glorification when you and I will no longer have the presence of sin in our lives. We'll be made new. We will no longer sin. We will be with him in glory. But between justification and glorification, there's a thing that happens. Anybody know the big theological word for that? It's called sanctification. Sin is still in our lives. We are saints. We are not sinners. We are saints, though, who at times sin. That's our identity. And Jesus says, what do you do? When you sin, and you will, Jesus says, instead of living in guilt in that moment when you sin, instead of living as though sin doesn't exist still in this world, instead of existing and thinking to yourself, I I sinned, but, but I can deal with it, Jesus says, the pattern for the Christian between your justification and your glorification during your sanctification is you confess your sins. You make it known to him. And there's a myriad of reasons for this. Let me give you just three really fast. Seeking forgiveness is necessary lest we think we're perfect. Lest we get pride in our lives and think, you know what? I have nothing wrong with me. The truth is, 
we still battle against sin. And when we confess our sin, we are making known to God, God, I still see the sin in my life and I still see Jesus as my sufficient Savior. Seeking forgiveness is also necessary to address the feelings of guilt because I have talked to more than one Christian who when they sin, they feel guilt over what they've done. And I said, good, that's right and good when you sin. It is a violation against the the will of God. But guess what? God doesn't see you as a sinner and the only way you're not gonna see yourself as a sinner who's still condemned is to confess it. And we know that's exactly the point of confession when we look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Confession to the Lord as a follower, it's not a means of our salvation. It's not us seeking forgiveness in order to be saved, we've already been declared right. It's us living in the righteousness that is ours in Christ and not denying the fact that every day between our justification and our glorification, we still need him. But then Jesus gives us one more reason why we need to confess our sins. And it's found in the last part of that phrase. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our what? Debtors. What's going on there? What's happening there? It can sound like God won't forgive you if you don't forgive others. It sounds like that, doesn't it? In fact, look at verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What's going on there? What's going on there is what's taught in the rest of the scripture. Forgiven people are forgiving people. You see, Jesus is drawing us into the fact that if you are my followers, if you confess your sins, that's one aspect of revealing that that you know you need the righteousness and the forgiveness of God. But if you cannot turn around and forgive others, Jesus is saying, then you have never really come to truly know the forgiveness of God of Jesus Christ. It's a warning. In this beautiful prayer, Jesus gives us this warning. If you are unwilling to forgive others, then you have elevated yourself to the position that God holds. You have made yourself judge, jury, and executioner of another person. And God says, get off my throne. If we forgive others, Jesus is saying that is a demonstration that we are walking in the forgiveness that we have received. So what's your spiritual need? Jesus says it's dealing with the sins you commit. How do we deal with it? You ask for forgiveness. Even today, some of you have done something this week. Do you know why every Sunday we have a time of confession here in the church early in the service? It's because there's not one person that walked into this place this morning without having committed a sin. And so when we have our time of confession, it's us being able to come together as a church and take a time and say, whatever it is, I can bring it back to the foot of Jesus and to know that he has forgiven me so I can can raise my hands and raise my voices in worship of him because I am forgiven. Not coming and making your sins known to him, not confessing those things, 
is you trying to deal with your sin on your own, and you're going to do a lousy job at it every time. But Jesus says, finally, this. It's not just that we have sins that we deal with, that we commit. Jesus says, you can go to God, and you can ask him to help you to avoid sin in the future. Did you know that? I wonder. I don't want to do it by show of hands, but God convicted me this week. He's like, when was the last time I prayed, God, would you keep me from temptation this week? Would you keep me from trials? Would you keep me from testing that would potentially lead me into sin? We know from the rest of God's word that God doesn't lead you into sin. James talks about that. But God says, listen, you live in a sinful world. You can go and you can ask him for his help. This past week, I, I took my, uh, two of my older girls skiing. And I, and I thought about it. This is her first time ever down the slopes. Have you ever been with somebody skiing for the first time? It's a load of fun. It's so great. It's so good. I did a lot of praying, by the way, on, on that day, especially as I watched one of my daughters shooting down the hill not knowing how to stop. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm praying, Lord, lead her not into temptation. No, um, I was praying, Lord, lead her not to break a leg. But, but here's the thing. As someone who knew how to ski, as my daughters went with me that day, I knew the challenges they would face. I knew the help that they would need. My daughters, recognizing this was their first time, recognizing their inabilities, on more than one occasion as we went up a ski lift would say, are you taking us to a place that we can do? <laughs> are we going down the bunny slope? Are, are you sure that we can, we can do this? They were coming and they're like, I, I, I don't know that I'm capable of, of this thing. And so they would ask and plead with their dad, don't take me up that ski lift. I wasn't as gracious of a father as my heavenly father was, okay? <laughs> do you know your limitations? I hope you do. You need the help of the Lord. I need the help of the Lord. And he offers it to us. So you can pray that prayer. Lord, I need your help. Lead me not into temptation because, because, Lord, I'm weak. Do you recognize your spiritual needs? Do you recognize the physical needs that you have? Do you believe that your Father in heaven wants to hear from you and answer your prayers? My prayer for you and for our church is that the answer to that is yes. That when it's all said and done, you and I would recognize that we, in any given moment, have access to the King, the maker of heaven and earth, and that we, at any moment, can make our praise and worship of Him known, but that not only that, He invites us, He encourages us, He wants us to come and to ask of Him, as Paul even prayed, to do exceedingly beyond, uh, above and beyond all that we ask or think because he's capable, and we ourselves are needy. So here's what we're going to do right now. I want you to bow your heads with me. You've heard me yapping and talking and doing all that. But this is, this is a moment right now. With your heads bowed, and it's like, it's magical. Do we have to bow our heads? Do we have to close our eyes? No, you don't have to. But, it, but it's, it's this idea that right now in this moment, we're going to be intentional and I'm just going to give you just a moment here to pray. 
to actually put into practice something that you've heard from this message. Maybe there's something physical in your life that you need help with. Maybe there's something spiritual in your life that you need help with. If you've heard from Jesus this morning, and I pray that you have, we're going to take this next 30 seconds, 60 seconds, whatever it would be. Would you just go before him? Would we lift our voices just in the quietness of our hearts to the throne of God in heaven? And the line's not going to be busy. He's not going to be overwhelmed by everyone praying at one time. Let us bring our requests to him in worship right now. Heavenly Father, believing you to be providentially and sovereignly in control of all things, it's no accident that as we're here in this place right now, those sirens just went off. Those workers going to potentially help someone in need. Lord, as we hear those sirens, we pray for whatever need that that is. Lord, that you'd be merciful and that you would give help to those who need it. But those sirens, Lord, that we just heard are also a reminder to us that it's only truly you at the end of the day who can provide and care for us. And so, Lord, would you shape us in 2021? The whole reason why, Lord, we we took these weeks to look at prayer was because, Lord, we want to grow spiritually. We want to grow in intimacy with you. And, Lord, that's not going to happen if we're not praying, if we're not coming before you. And so I pray for Valley Center Community Church. I pray for my church family that I love so much, Lord. Pray for my own family. Lord, may we live in this blessing of coming to you in prayer. To the praise and glory of your name we ask it. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.